Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used or just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending on where you are in the world. This is Tracy Murda on behalf of Richard Jacobs here at Future Tech Podcast. Today, I have a very exciting guest to share with you all. The CEO of Blockchain, the world's leading Bitcoin software company. Nicholas, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. I I know you're busy and you're always on the road from what I I can see in PAL, so we'll just jump right in. Um, I just wanted to talk about Basically, you know, there's obviously always a lot going on in the, the cryptocurrency world, um, but I wanted to sort of kind of rehash some of the basics and why we should all be looking to the Bitcoin blockchain and things like that to, you know, for our financial futures versus some of the other options. So why don't we get started with, tell me a little bit about how you got involved, first of all, in the cryptocurrency business, because I know that's, that's a pretty interesting story. <laughs> okay. Sure. Um, well, I think maybe I'll start with a little bit on um, the story and then also talk more broadly about the problem um, that basically everyone in our industry is trying to work toward and fixing. So um, my name is Nicholas Carey. I'm uh, one of the co-founders of a firm called Blockchain, and it frequently gets confused with the core innovation that everyone's really excited about. Uh, but we've been actually doing this for a few years now. So we founded the firm in 2011. Um, and we built a website called blockchain.info. And uh, what happened was a lot of early community members that were really interested in the digital currency Bitcoin wanted a place where they could look at the ledger and keep track of um, what was going on. And so we built a whole bunch of tools that made it easy uh, to log into a website and basically study transaction histories, um, find out what the price of Bitcoin was doing. And then we built a lot of other things too. And so we were really responding to the needs of an early and very technical community. And then a lot of other people started paying attention to what was happening. Um, So the story of Bitcoin is pretty neat. Uh, Basically, in uh, 2008, uh, a developer uh, wrote a white paper um, talking about a solution to a problem he thinks or she thinks that they had discovered, which was using a distributed network um, to basically keep track of a record keeping system for who owns what. And it was a pretty novel idea. And on January 3rd, 2009, uh, the network was released as an open source software project. And uh, the first transactions on the Bitcoin blockchain were conducted between a few um, really uh, genius and really brilliant cryptographers that spent the next couple of years volunteering their time uh, to make the network more robust and uh, to make sure that it could grow. And so in the early days, basically the only people that were kind of interested in these things were uh, cryptographers and computer scientists and people with degrees in distributed computing. But um, then some other people started to take a keen interest in it as well. Um, So there's a day that's uh, celebrated in uh, Bitcoin land, um, but it's uh, International Pizza Day. And it's kind of a funny story uh, because it was the first time that a market price was set for the digital currency Bitcoin. And that's when someone sold two pizzas for 10,000 Bitcoins. And um, so in our industry, every May, um, everyone orders pizzas for all their teams, and uh, it's kind of a fun uh, (laughs) historic day. But those pizzas are now the most expensive pizzas ever. They're worth over 12 million U.S. dollars, which is kind of wild (laughs) if you think about it. 
So anyway, um, we, we covered a lot of ground quickly in uh, 2010, 2011, some of the early marketplaces were formed once a price was set for Bitcoin. And uh, an interesting thing that comes up quite frequently is people are always asking me, well, what, you know, why does a, a digital currency like Bitcoin have value? And it really strikes at the core of, uh, of what, you know, why does anything have value? You know, why does money uh, make, why is money something that everyone's always trying to accumulate more of and, and what, um, where does value come from? And so, you know, there are a lot of different points of view on this, but I think generally speaking, uh, humans attribute value to things that satisfy two real conditions. One is uh, whether or not that thing is useful and then whether or not that thing is scarce. So things that have utility and are scarce tend to demand a market price. So if you think about um, things that we need to buy, if there was an unlimited supply of them, well, we wouldn't really uh, need to buy them because we could get them from everywhere. And so things that are scarce and useful have value. And what happened in 2008 and 2009 when uh, the blockchain was launched is an experiment in creating digital scarcity. And it works. And that's the real beauty of this whole project is that now we have digitally precious um, resources. And uh, Bitcoin is the first um, example of one of these, and it's now worth over $20 billion as a network. So um, I'm kind of going all over the place, but uh, it's kind of helpful, I think, to have a little bit of that perspective and then um, talk a little bit also about why this, is, uh, why this has so many people excited. So if you think about this, while the rest of the world has evolved and modernized, um, you think about telecommunications, media, um, you know, we used to have to go to bookstores to get um, literature, and now we can download uh, anything that's ever been written in the entire history of humanity instantly to nearly any device and oftentimes for free. You know, we used to have to go to a payphone and input all these digits and, uh, and try and connect with someone on the other side of the world. And now we can use voice technology to contact our friends and family instantly anywhere in the world, oftentimes for free. And you think about, you know, uh, music and uh, photography, you know, that word develop pictures is extinct now. And so the point I'm trying to make is that the digital world is part of our DNA. It's part of how we share our experiences, how we consume our entertainment, how we keep in touch with our loved ones. But the financial services industry, in a lot of ways, has not really um, benefited from technologies yet. And uh, it underpins every aspect of our personal and kind of more globalized lives. And so much of the much of the tools and the technologies that make it possible for banking are actually pretty old. And uh, digital currency technologies in uh, the blockchain um, really allow us to reimagine a world where we don't have all of this cost and friction, all these intermediaries um, and all of these uh, institutions that really uh, exist only because people don't trust each other. Um, and so the question really being posed is, you know, what if software could reliably and faithfully execute a handshake between two people to move value from one place to another without any more centralized entities, um, without any more forex uh, markets or banks or merchant processors, just peer to peer in the same way that we can make a Skype call anywhere in the world, shouldn't we be able to do the same thing to exchange uh, precious information? And so uh, that is what we have been working on in our industry uh, for the past eight years. And so you know, from the time that that first transaction happened for two pizzas through 2010, 2011, some of the early companies were formed in our industry. And then things started to get pretty exciting because you had uh, people that were really passionate about um, taking a very technical and complicated thing 
and then hopefully making it easier to use for regular people. And so this is important because you know, a lot of uh, the listeners out there may not really know how email works, and they don't really care. They just know it's a reliable way to have a correspondence with someone anywhere in the world pretty quickly and instantly. And I think that's the kind of expectation we should have with our ability to manage our money in 2017. But it's not. What's really crazy is it can take up to three days to make an international wire happen. And that's just inconsistent with what technology is able to do for us today. So when I started thinking and learning more about um, this technology, I became obsessed with it. And like a lot of people, um, I had to spend the rest of my life working on that. And um, so that's how I've ended up where I am. <laughs> I love that, though. This is like, so I'm not going to lie to you. This is so fitting because I feel like I'm alone in this world. I am, I'm 36 years old. I should be up with the times and like on board with all of this. And I feel so much resistance when it comes to thinking about this. So like when you're putting it in terms of, you know, keeping up with the way phone calls are made and the way, tech, you know, things are processed. Absolutely, that makes perfect sense for me. Where have you been all my life, Nick? This is why I've been needing <laughs> someone to explain it to me in these terms. I think I've been flying between airports or too much <laughs> or something. So it's been a wild ride. You know, just a few years ago, our company was based in northern England, uh, and uh, we had a small two-bedroom apartment where everyone was crashed out on the floors, and uh, we ate an overabundance of spaghetti and meatballs um, while we were working on these things. <laughs> and then if you fast forward just a couple years um, since then, you know, we have offices in New York, in London, and in Luxembourg. We have teammates uh, that have come from the greatest companies in the world, including, uh, you know, Amazon and Apple, the BBC, Google, Goldman Sachs, um, even NASA. And they've all come here to help us build our business. In fact, we've got individuals from over 18 countries on our team these days. Uh, and I think that gets pretty exciting because I've always believed that a diversity of perspectives builds a stronger ecosystem and a stronger um, kind of team. And we're really thinking about the global impact that this type of technology can have. You know, when we talk about what we're doing here, our mission as a firm is to build an open, fair, and accessible financial future using software. And uh, we want to make it possible for everybody in the world to perform economic transactions with each other um, instantly and as affordably as possible. And that's a big deal. We want to bring billions of people into the economic sphere of the influence of the internet. And if we do that, we think we can drive incredible prosperity and uh, we can help um, basically provide financial services to individuals who've been completely left out from the system uh, for thousands of years. And so, you know, if you look at how we think about, you know, uh, the world maybe a few years over the horizon, we're bringing along a community of people with us. So there are technologists, there are reformed bankers, uh, there are people that have worked um, in and around Wall Street, but everyone sort of knows that the world could be better. And that's the common mission we have when it comes to building the future of finance. So Nick, I mean, the way you explain it, I mean, you make it sound pretty bait. I mean, you're able to kind of talk down to the, the layman and say, this is what really is going on and this is why this, technology needs to keep advancing and this is why we should all be using this. Do you, you know, you're a CEO of a company, do you find yourself interacting with, with folks who maybe don't have that, you know, supreme knowledge of Bitcoin and blockchains and things like that? Because it just, it sounds like you kind of can relate to all of the rest of us everyday folks. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, 
It depends who we're talking to um, when we're describing how the technology works. But uh, I think the most important thing is that ultimately uh, humans have to interact with the things um, in order for them to become, um, you know, ultimately adopted. And so part of the challenge we face in our industry is that it did come from a very complicated and technical and almost academic um, origin. But since then, um, it's inspired uh, a lot more creativity. And here's the neat thing. I think fundamentally, if there's one thing for listeners to take away from this, um, when people talk about what the blockchain is, here's a quick way to kind of understand it. And maybe it'll help everyone have a little bit of perspective for why this is so interesting. But what we're really talking about is having a worldwide spreadsheet in the cloud. It's a big database that's replicated all over the world, which means it's always staying in a constant state of agreement. This is a really interesting quality that this network has, because in the past, we've always used a centralized record keeping system. So if you think about it, your bank is basically like a centralized um, database. It holds track of everything that it knows inside its little walled garden. But if a meteorite hits that bank or if that bank needs to interact with any other entity, things get really complicated because they aren't always speaking the same language. So if you had a record keeping system that was global that everybody could use and write to to keep track of who owns what, what you really have is like a giant global property rights system. And we actually really need this for the age of the internet so that we can do things like make economic transactions across borders really quickly or help people make payments for things. But this is really just the beginning. Um, once you have a big spreadsheet in the cloud um, that anyone can use and no one can forge and no one can unwind, that's a really key characteristic of this database is that it's unforgeable. You can do a lot more than just make economic transactions happen on it. So this is where things get a little bit futuristic, but I think it's important to remember just how far we've come in the last 10 years. Remember that a decade ago, the iPhone had not been invented yet. And so if we think about how fast things could go 10 years from now, this is where uh, we can maybe talk a little bit about some science fiction or what might seem like science fiction, but it's actually right over the horizon. And so what I mean is, imagine a world where you have a lot of devices that are more interconnected. So maybe your home is more online, your refrigerator um, and other things. And uh, for example, your refrigerator might actually uh, be able to keep track of all the things that are inside of it so that if you're starting to run low on milk or uh, you had a couple buddies over and they drank all your beer the night before, your refrigerator could actually order you more things. So you give your refrigerator a monthly budget. Well, maybe five or 10 years from now, your refrigerator will do that and then a drone will take off from your neighbor's roof where it's been charging on their solar panel and fly off to Amazon where it's going to collect the things that you need to refill your fridge. When it comes back to your house, it drops everything off. And then your refrigerator pays uh, the drone company, pays Amazon, and it also pays the guy's uh, solar power change charging station on the rooftop. And that's actually not that crazy of an idea. And it's probably quite likely to happen. In fact, here in the UK, where I am today, Amazon has a drone uh, delivery uh, pilot program that they're running right now. And so what you have with this type of technology is the ability to program your money. And that's really kind of needed. Um, dollar bills have satisfied uh, kind of an important transition from um, one economy to uh, a more global one, but it's not really the right one we need for uh, the age of the internet. We need to be able to put conditions on our money so it can do interesting things like uh, maybe 
split up into different amounts of pieces, go to certain um, people we want to pay or stay locked up for specific amounts of time. And once you have the ability to give your money really specific digital instructions, you can do all kinds of really cool things like maybe have a refrigerator that uh, can pay for things. So that's kind of the maybe what the future could look like just a few years from now. All of those things, though, require us to have a financial fabric for the Internet. And uh, that's what blockchain is working towards. So why Bitcoin? Tell me about your, your love affair with Bitcoin and <laughs> why Bitcoin over some of the other options that are out there? Yeah, so uh, Bitcoin was really um, the first sort of successful commercial and widely adopted digital currency, and it still is today. Um, sometimes the, the first projects um, struggle, and sometimes they're the ones that um, become the most successful due to a variety of conditions. Um, that could be that they're first to market, um, that they're reliable, uh, that they're perceived uh, to have a lot of stability. So, um, you know, the... The Bitcoin community uh, came on the shoulders of some real giants. Um, a lot of the developers uh, that worked for decades uh, putting together the foundational work that was ultimately executed in a new vision in 2009, and which has since been built upon and added on by many, many um, really uh, brilliant developers and software engineers. So, so for me, I, I care more about the, the use cases um, than anything, which is you know, getting to a world where we have more uh, interconnected um, technology for financial infrastructure. But I think Bitcoin is a particularly interesting way of doing that. It reimagines things in a completely new context. Um, and so what we have with Bitcoin is the most reliable implementation of a blockchain technology period. And it's been running nearly without interruption uh, 365 days a year, seven days a week, 24-7, for over eight years now. And that's a feat no back-end banking system can claim. Now, a lot of projects have tried to imitate or replicate the success of Bitcoin. Bitcoin is now worth over $20 billion globally. It has a value cap that's greater than that of Twitter. And so, obviously, when something is successful, a lot of other people try to, to mimic or imitate it. And uh, there have been lots of attempts. It's really hard to recreate network effects um, in new projects. And so Bitcoin has been very fortunate to, to kind of have an early lead. And I think it's hard for these other projects, um, one, to develop the reputation, to differentiate themselves, and then also to provide a, a more or better value proposition. And so far, we haven't really seen that happen yet. There are some pretty interesting um, protocols. Uh, there's one called Ethereum that I uh, find really, really compelling, and uh, we're going to watch that with keen interest. Um, you know, Ethereum is basically a, a vastly more complex version of what Bitcoin does. Bitcoin is expect exceptionally good at uh, settling and clearing um, a very limited amount of transactions, but it does it in an incredibly reliable way. Well, Ethereum is, an, is based on the same principles as the Bitcoin blockchain. You've got a distributed ledger, you've got nodes, but what's really happening on that network is you actually have an operating system uh, operating on each one of those databases. And so the applications that can be built um, are far more complex. I think that uh, there's a world where many of these projects can be successful in the sense that you know, we don't just all like one kind of soda. There are many different flavors. 
And some of those are fit to purpose, and um, some of them have specific use cases. So some of that's yet to be seen. There's a, a lot of uh, research that still needs to be done, and there's a lot of work that really still needs to be done to make sure that these uh, technologies can support the kind of scale that is really going to be needed uh, for the financial future. So uh, we're still in a lot of ways in the early days, but we're making very, very great progress. You know, here at Blockchain, we're working um, with some of the leading academic uh, institutions in the world to work on that research and development that's very expensive, that takes a long time, but that has the potential to really bring that scale that's needed to bring billions of people onto these networks. I think today we're still a little bit, uh, it's a little too early um, to do that. So uh, we've kind of almost become a victim of our own success in some ways so far. There are so many people that are already using Bitcoin that it's actually experiencing latency. Uh, so just like a highway that has too many cars on it gets a little slow, well, the same thing happens with computer networks. And then you have to either build a bigger highway or rate limit that highway by charging people tolls, or maybe you put two highways on top of each other. And basically the point is that there are different ways of speeding things up and uh, different opinions about how to do that. Um, and that's okay. Since I have your your brain available to me, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go after all the questions that I've ever wanted to know. <laughs> what are your thoughts away. on on Ethereum? What what is your take on it and, and kind of your your gut feeling? Well, um, you know, to me, Ethereum is is still a really interesting idea um, that is still trying to find its use case. And so, just because um, you have a blank sheet of paper doesn't necessarily mean that that solves a problem. And so today, I haven't seen uh, a project gain any type of real user adoption um, using Ethereum yet. And I think part of that's because um, it's a deeply complex uh, project, and it's also um, working through some early reliability issues in the same way that it was difficult to convince people to use uh, Bitcoin uh, seven or eight years ago. You know, they're, they're going through some of those growing pains, too. And that's to be expected. Um, I think they're waiting to find, um, you know, the right use case that brings on uh, a lot of adoption. But that's, you know, one of the ways that happens is by trying a lot of different ideas. And so my point of view is that competition makes for the best outcome. And, you know, I just no one has a crystal ball. So basically, you know, maybe 20, 30 or 50 years from now, something completely different exists that's far better. Um, that mitigates uh, some of the risks or is more efficient than the things that we're working on today. But the only way we're going to get there is by testing, trying, and constantly improving and competing with the best ideas in the world. So, um, you know, I think Ethereum's a, a neat project, and uh, I know a lot of the guys working uh, there, and I like the community a lot. So I'm um, looking forward to seeing them uh, get some wins. And, and really one of the hugest questions of all, of course, would be, where do you see this technology, the, the blockchain and, and Bitcoin and all of these cryptocurrencies in this world you live in? Where do you see it? And give me a, a projection for for 10 years from now. Pull that crystal ball back out. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, well, first of all, disclaimer, I've never, ever gotten one of these predictions right. So everyone should take this <laughs> as a great salt. Um, my, my point of view is that the digital world is going to get integrated into finance in a really deep um, and really fundamental way. And I think it's inevitable that uh, technologies like 
uh, blockchain technologies will um, play a fundamental role in the social and economic fabric of the future. And some of that has to do uh, with very simple things. Um, it is vastly faster to improve these technologies than it is to redesign the retail infrastructure of a bank. Think, think about it really simply. If your bank wants to change uh, the way people think about it, they go through this enormous rebranding effort. They maybe hire a new architect. They reorder the desks you know, in the lobby, and then they repaint the walls. Think about what a software company can do. You know, they can release a new app. They can A-B test a different uh, set of um, instructions or a different user experience and constantly and continually optimize. And so the, the future is going to be faster. It's going to be more digital. And the world's getting more interconnected. And so it needs these things um, to happen. I think most likely 10 years from now, a lot of people will be relying on these technologies and they won't necessarily know it because the user experience doesn't require you to have a real understanding of what's happening below the button. And that's just fine. As long as that experience is delivering a high quality, secure, faster, and more affordable um, experience for you versus the things that you have historically used, then you'll be happy with them. So a quick parable for this is, you know, we don't really experience exponential technologies or exponential events that commonly in our lifetime. And uh, that's because they're kind of sneaky. Um, so here's what I mean by that. You know, Bitcoin as a currency um, and as a transactional network has doubled in size every single year since it was created. So the number of users, the number of transactions, um, the reliability, all of that um, is quietly doubling in size every year. And uh, so here's, here's a way to think about it. Imagine you have a lily pond in your backyard and uh, in 30 days, it'll be completely covered in lilies. And today uh, you plant one lily pad and then it doubles in size every day. So just like the Bitcoin network, it goes from two to four to eight to 16. Well, on what day does that lily pond become 50% covered by lilies? It doesn't happen until the 29th day. But that's important, it's sneaky. And this type of technology will become so ubiquitous that a lot of people won't even remember what it was like not to have it. In the same way that we don't really think too hard about how tricky or complicated it used to be to send postcards through the mail. Because now we're on Snapchat or WhatsApp and we're keeping in touch with each other in a much more fluid and quick way. And so to me, this technology will first be used to reimagine the way the financial infrastructure is um, you know made up, and then I think it has other applications. So um, we're currently working um, on some interesting research, uh, looking at how the technology can be applied to everything from energy markets to development aid financing to digital identity uh, to potentially uh, using it in supply chain. So to give you a sense for why those applications have a real use case with the technology, um, let me give you an example. We actually put all kinds of crazy things um, into our bodies from markets that come from very far away. So uh, the fishing industry um, moves vast amounts of tuna fish, for example, from fisheries globally, and eventually that ends up you know, on your plate at home. But what assurances do you have that the fish that you're eating came from a responsibly sourced fishery, that it moved to market at speed and in the right temperature, and that um, the various entities and people that worked on that were paid a fair wage. 
and that everything happened in a responsible way. Well, we really don't have any today because these systems have no transparency. So what you could do, imagine geotagging you know, the catch of those fish from a boat. It's broadcasting um, a transaction to a record keeping system that anyone can use, that anyone can verify, but no one can forge and no one can fake. And as these goods move to market, when you scan it at your supermarket, you'd actually be able to trace back to the day where that fish was caught in a reliable um, way. Now, that's kind of a silly example, but I hope it conveys the power of this technology yeah. to give you optics into the provenance of the goods that we maybe put in our bodies or the construction materials we use to build our buildings to the property rights um, that we have for our stocks and our bonds and having a much more fluid um, ability to transact with each other in all ways. So that's maybe what 10 years could look like. Um, it may happen a little bit faster and it may take a little bit more time uh, depending on how much progress we make in the industry. And Nicholas, you obviously travel a lot. You're always on the move. You attend tons of these conferences and seminars and, and expos. Why do you think those types of gatherings are so important to this cryptocurrency world? Well, you know, in a lot of ways, uh, this whole community was like looking uh, for a reason to kind of connect. And to me, it's still about humans and people hopefully getting more closely connected um, to, to causes uh, and to other things. And so I do spend a good deal of time um, traveling around and uh, I do that on behalf of the firm to do advocacy generally for uh, my company, but also uh, for the industry in general. Uh, a lot of people still haven't heard about this stuff and a lot of people may be confused or intimidated by it. And um, I try and make sure that uh, even if it, I have to go person by person, sometimes I do, that I give people an opportunity to really understand it. Because I think once you do, you can get excited, you can find your own reason for either believing in it or participating. And ideally, you know, that's, that's where the real genius happens when someone uh, has a light bulb go off in their head and they can see applicability in their own life, uh, maybe in their own business. And uh, if they want to come in and build their own company or uh, come work for one of the companies in our industry, uh, that to me is where we start to push the needle. And so that's why I think it's important. All right. Well, you've, you've given me quite a bit of insight and a lot to chew on today, so I really appreciate that. And I'm sure with our, our listeners as well, like I said, I know you're a busy guy and, and giving us your time today is much appreciated. Uh, Nicholas, is there anything else that you would leave our listeners with regarding the, the Bitcoin and, and blockchain industries that maybe, you know, to help someone who's not 100% ready to get committed and get started? <laughs> well, um, I think a great place to, to get started is to visit blockchain.com. You can read through the resources. Um, you can also sign up for your first uh, Bitcoin wallet. They're 100% free. The software is 100% open source. And uh, in 30 seconds, you can be your own bank. And I think that that's a really powerful experience because if you compare that with what it would take to go set up maybe a new bank account down the street um, and the frustration and the time it would take, you can kind of get a sense for how this is becoming exciting. And then, you know, there's some great books that have been written. You can Google those or go on Amazon and pick them up. 
and talks a little bit more about uh, the community and some of the opportunities. And then, of course, you know, I think following um, some of the thought leaders and the people in the industry, uh, keeping track of what they're doing is a, is a great way to participate. But ultimately, if anything I said makes any sense, maybe going out and uh, setting up a Bitcoin wallet is a great place to start. Absolutely. Well, thank you again, Nicholas Carey, CEO of Blockchain. We appreciate your time today and look forward to seeing where you go next. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Have a great one next. You've been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, both to review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.